you would be forgiven if you thought that it is finished was the last of the seven sayings of Jesus. Can it make sense? But uh, there will be one more next week. Please do keep John 19 open and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our morning so far. Thank you for this attitude of prayer that we've been having over the whole weekend. Praying to a God who is in heaven, the maker and creator of the whole universe, who upholds and sustains it, and yet the God who has stepped down into the deep darkness of this world through Jesus to suffer and die on the cross, as we have been thinking. And as this morning we look at this saying, it is finished, the work of Jesus is complete, it's sufficient, it's enough, it covers all sin. Help us to believe it. Help us to understand what it means for us. and Help us to live rejoicing in response to it. Amen. There are a number of masterpieces in our world, works of art or human creativity that we would marvel at, whether it be the paintings of Leonardo da Vinci, the works of Shakespeare, Handel's Messiah, the Back to the Future trilogy, whatever it may be for you, things that we marvel at. Now, John, you asked for pieces of art. I want to show you a picture of a piece of art that I rustled up this weekend in my spare time. Just, just there. For those of you who don't know, this is the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Michelangelo's painting of nine scenes of creation from Genesis 1 through till the flood. The ceiling is about 40 meters long. It's 14 meters wide. And it hangs 13 and a half meters from the floor. It took Michelangelo eight years to complete this painting. And he did it standing on scaffolding that hung out of the ceiling, out of the wall, and he did it standing up with his head tilted backwards and painting on the ceiling. Nine scenes. You may well recognize the famous hand of God and Adam scene there. Now, can you imagine that he'd finished his work and he climbed down from the scaffolding and he'd put away his paintbrushes and done everything and brushed his hands thinking it is finished, and some random guy comes up to him and says, I don't think it's quite done, mate. Where's the rest of the Bible? Or don't you think that, that uh, Noah's color should be a different color? Or maybe the animals should be a different size? What would you do? Bop him on the nose, probably. But how dare someone who is unqualified, unskilled, unexperienced come and tell the great master artist, Michelangelo, that his work is not finished and it's not good enough. It would be more than a bit cheeky. Michelangelo was given a task to paint the ceiling and he finished it in wonderful style. You know, when it comes to the finished work of Jesus on the cross... We can often think and behave as if it is not finished or that it is not good enough. We like to think that we can add to the work 
that perhaps we have something better to, to contribute, meaning that Jesus died on the cross wasn't enough, there needs to be more. Or that, yes, we accept Jesus died on the cross, but it's, it's not sufficient enough. It doesn't cover my sin, because my sin is too great for Jesus. We say that the work of Jesus is finished, but it's not sufficient for our sin. Now, when we think of it in those terms, when we think of it in this way, it does seem absurd, doesn't it? That we would say that the work of Jesus is not finished and is not good enough. But sometimes we can think like that. We can find it hard to accept the work of Jesus is finished for us. And sometimes it can be a real hindrance in faith for some. These penultimate words of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. Were they words of defeat? As in, it's it's done, I've had it in, I can't do it. Or are they words of victory, of accomplishment? Not I'm done for, but that the work of salvation is done. Our prayer this morning is that as we unpack this phrase, this saying of Jesus, we'll see that at the cross, the work of salvation is complete. It's sufficient. And instead of doubting his work or boasting that we can add to it, that we will rejoice in what he has done for us and that we will rest in his work. Two points this morning. It is finished. There's nothing we can do to add to his work. If you look into and study all the other religions in the world, they'll teach that there is a way to God and that way to God is by the way you live your life. It is by doing works, obeying rules, praying five times a day, performing rituals, following the noble path to find your way to heaven. But if you're a Christian this morning, then you will know that salvation is not by our works. Our true relationship with God is because of Jesus. And we've thought about that over the last few weeks. We regularly hear these things on a Sunday morning. But how many of us slip into thinking that although Jesus has died for us, we like to add a little bit extra for ourselves. Often just to make ourselves a little bit more secure, perhaps. You might remember a few weeks ago when we were in Luke 23, we were looking at the criminal on the cross. And Jesus welcomed him into paradise simply through his faith and repentance. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to live a life to prove that he was worthy. And we could struggle with that, that Jesus accepted a criminal like that purely through his faith. Jesus has done the work for us, but we'd rather make ourselves worthy of him through our good deeds. Have you found yourselves thinking things like that? God will be pleased with me or I will feel more secure in my faith if I do certain things. You may have heard of the five pillars of Islam. Sometimes we can be guilty of what I call the five M's of Christianity. Money, manners, ministry, mercy, mission. We give our money 
We show manners, good manners, by how we treat other people. We do ministry as we serve in, in different church activities. We show mercy by helping those who are in need. We go on mission and tell people about Jesus. And as we do Christian things, we feel more secure in our faith. Of course, doing those, those things is good, and we should carry out the works that God has prepared for us to do in response to what he has done for us. But we don't do them in such a way that the brownie points we earn outweigh the lumps of coal of our bad works. Because it's not about that. Jesus said it is finished. And that means there's nothing more to be added. It's done. So what is, what is the work of Jesus that he has finished? Well, in John's Gospel, we read a few times in John 4, it comes up, the disciples ask Jesus, would you like some food? And Jesus replies to the disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then in John 17, as we just heard read, the night before he is, or the night he is betrayed, Jesus prays in the garden and he prays, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. And in verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. What was the work? Well, verse 2, for you've granted him, Jesus, authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to those who you have given to him. Jesus' task, his work to accomplish, is to make a way possible for people to have eternal life. Simple task, no? One of my favorite film series, apart from Back to the Future, is Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise plays the government agent, Ethan Hunt, and his mission, should he choose to accept it, is to infiltrate the enemy camp. It's to kill the bad guys. It's to rescue anybody who has got caught up in the way. And if you've watched the films, you'll know that always at one point in the film, he has to perform some crazy acrobatic stunt, taking his own life into his hands to win the day. Against all odds, you think he's never going to be able to do it. But of course he does. He jumps to a certain death, but he manages to survive. If you've seen the latest film, you'll know that he actually does die in that stunt. But then he comes back to life, don't worry. Another agent rescues him and saves him. It's all on the edge of your seat stuff. It's exciting. And you think he's never going to do it. And you think, I could never do that. And of course, we could never do that. We are not super secret agents. We do not have those powers to fight terror. But likewise, the mission to rescue the world from sin seems impossible. And it's not something we can just simply add a little bit to on the end. Think about it. If the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, and if without the shedding of blood, without death, there is no forgiveness, then that means for the one to rescue us from sin, the penalty of death has to be paid. And if the Bible tells us that the one who pays that penalty must be perfect, then no human being is qualified. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
It is mission impossible. But for one man, the God-man, Jesus. Let's look at his work in John's Gospel. He is qualified. He is qualified to complete the task. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, who was in heaven, the glory that he had before the creation of the world, humbled himself and became a man, became a human, and he lived. In John 17, he'd finished the work, as we thought, the work that God had given him to do, and he longed to now be glorified once again as he was at the beginning. That's the first mission. The mission impossible was for God to become man. That's the Christmas story, the incarnation. Mission impossible, but possible with Jesus. Secondly, he had to live a perfect life. As you read through the Gospels, we get those wonderful accounts of the life of Jesus. The life he lived as John's Gospel tells us, proclaiming and demonstrating what it means to know and believe and have a relationship with God through Jesus. Anyone else qualified to live a perfect life? Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he did not sin. And thirdly, and most importantly, the work of Jesus that he had to complete was what John calls his, his hour of glorification. And from John chapter 2, you, you get this hour. This hour had not yet come. What is this hour Jesus kept speaking about? It had not yet come. And then in John chapter 12, the last week of Jesus' life, he says, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then in that chapter, he outlines his coming death, that through his death, he would bring eternal life, that life that he had promised, that task he had to accomplish. Mission impossible? Not for Jesus. Jesus struggled. He suffered. We know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, his soul was troubled, and he said, Father, save me from this hour. And yet he knew, no, this was the reason that he came. To glorify God through his death. Through Jesus' death, sin would be paid for. Death would be defeated. Satan would be conquered. And eternal life would be available. And so, as we read in John 19... Jesus says, it is finished. The work is accomplished. It's done. Nothing more to add. And so we can rejoice. Because after Paul tells us that we've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God, he goes on and he tells us that we are all justified freely through his grace, through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. 
What does Paul mean? What is he saying? He says that we are made right with God by grace, a free gift given through faith. His death is sufficient. His sacrifice is enough. Imagine you were given a maths test to sit. For you to get to the next stage, you need to get 100%. Not just pass, but get 100%. And imagine that you are the age of my son, three. You can count to ten, but nothing else. It's mission impossible. And yet Jesus has come and he sat down and he's taken the test for you. And he didn't just pass. He got 100%. It's enough for us. So friends, as we live our Christian lives, as we seek to please God, yes, as we respond to what he's done for us with good works, we need to remember that we're forgiven through his death. Because can, can our giving of money really add to what Jesus has done already? Can any mercy that we show really be anything in comparison to the mercy of God? Can our good manners be anywhere near the perfect life that Jesus lived? We need to lift our eyes to him who carried out the good works of perfection, who never failed, who never fell short. Perfect life so that he is a perfect sacrifice for our sin. What do you say? What do you say to Jesus when he says to you, it is finished? Let's say thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying the death that I deserved. It's finished. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can add to his work. Secondly, it is finished. There's nothing more Jesus needs to do to improve on his work. We may well believe that Jesus' death is complete, the work is finished. But it is effective. Is it enough for me to cover my sin? We believe that he died on the cross, but surely the sins that I have committed won't be covered by that. Maybe we know that Jesus died for us, but yet I keep on sinning. I keep on doing the same old things again and again, and surely there comes a point when his blood just isn't enough to cover those sins again. Have you thought those thoughts? I know that I have. We looked at this question a few weeks ago when we looked at Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But friends, here as then, the work of Jesus is finished. And that means it's done. All of our sin for all of our lives. Is it true that God knows all things? He knows the beginning from the end, and so he knows all of your sins. He knows the sins you've committed, and he knows the sins you are yet to commit. He knows the worst of your sins. He knows the amount of sin that you've committed and the amount that you will commit. But surely if Jesus died 2,000 years ago, he died knowing all of that sin. 
and he died despite knowing all of your sin. And he still said, it is finished. In fact, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mary Shepherd, also known as Margaret Fairchild, was a gifted concert pianist. She once played at the proms. After having some time in a nunnery, suffering from mental health problems, she was institutionalized by her brother. She escaped from hospital in a van. And while driving away, she thought that she'd run over a motorcyclist and killed him. Apparently what really had happened was the motorcyclist was going too fast around the corner and crashed into her. But yet she felt terribly guilty, horrified by what had happened, the blood on her windscreen. So she ran away, or drove away, in her van. She effectively became homeless on the run. She parked up wherever she could, eventually spending 15 years in Alan Bennett's driveway. She had personal hygiene problems. She didn't have any friends, was always angry and nasty to people. She hoarded everything that she had. But often she was seen praying, praying for mercy from God, constantly going to her Catholic confession, seeking forgiveness for a crime that it turns out was never hers. She lived in fear both from the police, but more importantly, fear of God's judgment because she'd murdered, and that murder was so great, it was beyond redemption, almost. You may have seen the film based on her life, The Lady in the Van. And as you watch and you see her life, you see what happened to her, you feel heartbroken for her. And most of all, because of the false teaching she'd received, that the work of Jesus just wasn't enough. She had to add to it. Friends, the Bible tells us that Jesus' death is enough. It is finished, was his cry. So no works, no purgatory, no more is needed. And no better sacrifice can be given. Wouldn't it be true that if when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was struggling, asking, Father, if there be any other way, make it possible. Surely the sins of Miss Shepherds are far too great than what I'm going to do on the cross to cover what she's done. If there was going to be another way, then God would have provided another way for sin to be satisfied, for the price to be paid. But the death of Jesus is enough, and it was enough right from the beginning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided in eternity that the cross would be the way and that it would be enough. As you read through the whole Bible, we see that it's always been the way. The Old Testament shows us it. It models it. It illustrates it, as we thought about last week. It prophesies to us. Last week, we thought about the Passover. We thought about the little lamb that was sacrificed in the place of the Israelites on that Passover night. And it points forward to Jesus, 
who died on the cross for us. Just like all those offerings, all the sacrifices that the Israelites brought to the tabernacle, imagine you are one of them and you walk to the tabernacle and you bring your offering to Jerusalem, to the temple. You've got it in hand. You know your sin. You know that this little lamb is not going to be enough to really forgive you of your sin. You know that you're going to have to come back again next year to offer another sacrifice. And again and again it goes on. The day of atonement arrives and you're there in Jerusalem and you watch the high priest as he enters into the most holy place. The place where he can go only once a year. And there he offers a sacrifice for everybody. And you hope and pray that he makes it back out again. But with Jesus, all that changes. The wonderful letter to Hebrews shows us that it's no longer again and again and again, but it's once for all. Once, not many. I want to read some verses from Hebrews 9 and 10. You can turn to them if you want. But as you listen, I want you to to contrast the again and again with the once for all, the many with the one. Listen to what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 9.1 Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Verse 6, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that once a year, and never without blood, which he had offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Verse 11, but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Verse 24, for Christ entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He entered heaven to offer himself, not to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, but he appeared once for all. Chapter 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus said, it is finished. And so I'm grateful that I don't have keep having to make sacrifices day after day, year after year. Sacrifices that would make me think, is it enough? When will I have to make the next one? 
sacrifices day after day that prove that I am unworthy, that I am unable to beat my sin. But I'm glad that when I confess my sin and trust in Jesus, that he, what he has done is enough. And it is enough for you. It covers all your sin. Do you have a big sin that holds you captive? Something you know that you still feel ashamed of? It is finished. Do you have that one or two sins that you keep on committing time and time again? Again, it is finished. It is complete. Jesus entered heaven and he stood before God and it was enough. And because of Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose again, that eternal life, that task that he had completed was free and available and offered to the world. Did you know that apparently the Sistine Chapel ceiling wasn't actually finished by Michelangelo? When he got down from his scaffolding, he refused to go back up and add the gold leaf or the blue lapis to put the finishing touches to his ceiling. Touches that would make it match the walls of the chapel. And of course, since the painting in the 16th century, the ceiling has gone, undergone restoration. All great masterpieces of the world, done by human hands, will never be completely perfect. And they will never last forever. But with Jesus, it is different. We can be sure that when he comes back, on the day of judgment, it will only be on his finished works on the cross that we can stand before God. It is finished. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for leaving heaven, becoming a man, living that perfect life, dying the perfect death in our place, completing the task that you were given. Thank you that you rose again and are now at the right hand of God in heaven and ruling and sustaining the world. And we thank you that one day, Lord Jesus, you are going to come back. We can look forward to that day without fear because of the finished works that you have done on the cross. And I pray this morning that we would all cling to the cross that we will be trusting in your works that you have done. Keep us, Lord, keep us from thinking that we can add to it and give us courage and hope and peace within our hearts, Lord, particularly if there are sins within our lives that, that are great and that we struggle to receive forgiveness for. Help us see the sufficiency of the cross to receive the forgiveness that you give and rejoice in all you've done for us. Amen.